James 4. If you'll turn to James 4. Hope everybody's getting back to school in a good way. All the kids are back to school. Uh, hopefully they're liking their classes and getting in the swing of things and getting up early. That alarm clock comes early every morning. So at James 4, we're, uh, last week we looked at uh, verses 6 through 10 and God's call for humility, how God was opposed to the proud and gives greater grace to the humble. And I, and I, I hope that we comprehend that, the, the God's grace. I'm not sure that we'll ever fully comprehend God's grace. And, and there's a couple of ways that James is going to show us. Uh, we, we saw last week in 6 through 10 about the, the call for repentance and how James shows us what real repentance, true repentance looks like. And, and there are a couple of evidences of, of a person on whether they've truly grasped or even moving to where they can grasp and understand the sin debt that, that has been paid through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There, there's a couple of, of ways in our lives that, that we'll see that. And James shows us these in the remainder of, of chapter 4 and even into chapter 5. He's going to talk about our, our speech and, and our humility and, and our, or even lack of humility. And, and really what he talks about is arrogance in regards to our speech and, and the fact that we would judge one another, especially judge a believer or sister that God has saved. He's going to talk about in 13 through 17 how we live our lives shows whether we've truly grasped God's grace and the arrogance and how we can live our lives with really no concern for God. We can live our lives as if we're the master of our ship or the master of our own destiny versus understanding the grace that God has given and living every moment to His glory and to His will. And the antidote, he, this whole chapter, he's talking about quarrels and, and fights and dissensions and, and conflict. And the antidote, the antidote to that, to all of that, whether it's in our homes, whether it's in church, whether it's at work, whether it's at schools, the antidote to that is humility. It's humility. It's humility before God because of the great grace in which He saved us, something that we had no doing on our own. It's humility before one another. It's Romans 13, considering one another more worthy than ourselves. It's humility. When, when we see ourselves as sinners, when we recognize the debt that was paid, the sin debt that was paid, the, the forgiveness that God has offered us through Jesus Christ, when we see that rightly, what James is saying is we live, right, we live differently, not only before one another, but before God. When we truly repent of our sinfulness, when we acknowledge it, we live differently. When we are truly humbled by God's grace, when we're humbled in the face of our sinfulness and the fact that God would save us, he's saying it affects every area of our lives. I, I want to set the table today for our passage in, in James with a, with a, a, a truth uh, uh, that Jesus explains in a parable on forgiveness from Matthew 18. If you want to turn there, you can. It may be on the screens. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I want to read that and set the stage. And We're going to start taking the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of each month, tying that in with the first Sunday supper. Just have a, a day just as a family. The, the third Sunday creeps up on me, and it gets interrupted sometimes. And But that first Sunday, I just wanted to be set apart and be different. And, and even as we approach these elements... 
Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of all that I've done, all that I've taught you, all that I've offered. And James is almost saying the same things here. And in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus teaches a story on forgiveness. He teaches the truth of forgiveness and the amount of forgiveness. And he says, Peter came to him and said this, Lord, how often shall I Shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. The law would have said seven times. After seven times, hey, you're good to go. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. See, in their own little world, they had come up with this, well, I'll forgive you seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Seven times seven, rather. 490 He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. A talent, he says, 10, what do you say? 10,000 talents. A talent was more than 15 years wages. Do you see the number? You see the debt? One, one talent was more than 15 years wages of labor, and this, owned man, this man owed 10,000 talents. Huge debt. The slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. You, you hear the... Think about that. One talent is ten thousand. I mean, it's fifteen years. You're not going to repay that. You owe ten thousand. The Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But listen to the man's response. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. This man owned an, an, an incomparable. A, a denarii was only a day's wage. And this man, this man who owned 10,000 talents at, now finds somebody who owed him one denarii, a hundred denarii rather, seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. The same, that's the same exact plea that this man pleaded before his, the person who owed him, who had the debt over him. Same plea. Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and withdrew him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. You, You see the lack of humility? You see the arrogance? that you would be forgiven an enormous debt that you could never pay on your own. 
and then turn around and go to one of your fellow slaves who owes a relatively small debt but still can't repay it, and you would have him thrown in jail. You, you, you would have, you've been forgiven an enormous debt simply because you asked. Over here, you refuse to forgive a relatively small debt in comparison to what you've been forgiven when asked the same thing. There, there's, a, there's a lack of humility there. there. There's an arrogance there. Almost a sense that you deserve to be forgiven where this person over here did not deserve to be forgiven. Or you were worthy of being forgiven, this person over here was not. You know, James, James has explained to us that the, the idea of pride and arrogance and the, the, the danger for all of us as believers to become proud and arrogant is all throughout, not only James, but James 4, but all throughout the Bible. Do not become arrogant. Do not be, it's, very, it's very tempting. Those of us, we've been forgiven for our sins. We serve the Lord. We do this. We do this. We do this. We do this. It's very tempting to become proud and arrogant in regards to our walk with the Lord, to think that we deserve something that we don't deserve, to think that we were worthy of something that we weren't worthy of. And, and as James says, to think that we begin, begin to become judge, jury, and executioner with regards to our fellow man. Pride and arrogance. And, and you say, well, well how, do you know someone's, how do you know when somebody's proud? And how do you know when someone's arrogant? James gives us a couple examples, and we're only going to look at the first one today. But in verse 11, he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James teaches us that our speech reveals our humility before God. Before God, Our speech does. And again, at every point in our lives, we have a tendency to become arrogant and proud and to think more of ourselves than we ought. In, in Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think as to have sound judgment, listen, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Even the faith that we have is a gift of God. Even the measure of faith that we have is, is grace. Look down in verse 16 of chapter 12. He says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. The, the fact that we as Christians who were who had an immense sin debt, slaves have been freed by the grace of God that we then would be too proud to associate with somebody else because they're below us. No, no, we're all sinners. There's no, there's no hierarchy with regards to sinners. You're either separated from God because of your sin or you're saved by the blood of Jesus. There's no hierarchy. And the tendency amongst believers, non-believers, all that, the tendency is for the world to creep in and we begin to think, I'm too good for that. That's below me. Or in this case of James, we begin to make a whole set of rules up according to our standards. And that's getting to what James is getting at. We begin to come up with our own set of rules and then I hold you accountable to my rules. 
And our speech reveals this pride and this arrogance. We, we think that our sin debt was small, that our sin debt was insignificant when that person back there, now that was a serious sin debt. That, that's, that's arrogant. Self-righteous. And, and when we think that we can speak harshly to others or judge others or, or make up our own standards, that, that we think we can add to the, world that, uh, to the word that maybe even we ourselves are the standard, rather than simply humbly submitting to the grace that God has offered us, rather than, rather than living out of gratitude, pride rails up. The, the cross ought to humble us. But in our sinfulness, we end up becoming proud and arrogant with regards to our forgiveness sometimes. And, and we see it in our, in, our, in our lives in a lot of ways. Maybe we've walked with God for a long time. Maybe we're very gifted in certain areas. Maybe we serve a lot. Maybe we're, quote-unquote, great Christians. And rather than humility flowing out of that, you know what we start to do? Well, they don't serve as much as I do. They don't do this as much. Can you believe they? We're not the standard. We, we live out of a gratitude of having been saved, regardless of what the people around us are doing. And, and we certainly don't become the judge, jury, and executioner of what other people are doing. You see this in kids. If you have, for those, if you have multiple children, you'll, you'll see this in your house. And, and, and is invariably, invariably, the older child will want to become the mommy and boss the younger child around. You see it all the time. I'm telling you, you put two young, some, the, the older child will want to be the mommy. Why? Because we have this need for power. We have this need to make up the rules. We have this need to boss. We have this need to be able to tell others what to do, to, to, to instruct others what to do, to become the standard. And, and in the same way, the, our, our Sarah say, look, I don't need two dads. I got a dad. I don't need you to be my dad, Bradley. You're not my daddy. That's what she'll say. You're not my daddy. And, and guess what? We, we'll start judging one another's why, and we'll start wanting to be the, the mommy. And, and even here, James is saying, Christians want to be God. They want to play God. We want to be the ones that, that get to boss people around. And you know what I'm saying to you? I don't need another God. I don't need another Savior. I got one. And throughout the Bible, listen to me, throughout the Bible, speaking evil towards one another is linked to jealousy, selfishness, quarrels, and pride. Almost invariably, when you see speaking evil against somebody, it is almost always linked to pride and arrogance. You, we, think that we're, we're, we think we're the standard, we're, think we're the stuff, we're the junk, and now we can talk about other people. And, and the word James uses here in verse 11, do not speak against one another, brethren, the, the word there is a very, very broad word. It can, it, can, it can mean any harmful speech. The word he uses stands for any harmful speech. Listen to me. It can be willful accusations. It could be exaggerations. Listen to me. It could even be exaggerations of truth. What, what James says here, what he speaks to here, he's not talking about lies. These could be truths. I could be what you're saying about me. It could be, and listen to me, you're not going to say anything about me that's not true, probably. So let's just get that on the front end. 
But, but it could be a truth. You say, Chris, administratively, is terrible. Okay, I get that. Karen will tell you that. I'm working on it. I, that's why, by the grace of God, God gave me a wife that is very administrative-minded. It could be true. But when we use that against me to make you sound better or to influence the opinion of someone else about me, you have violated the Scriptures. See, the speech that James says here, it's not just outright nasty lies. It could be any speech that you say about somebody else in order to influence that other person against the person who's spoken about. You get that? It's wide. It could be something as simple as needless repetition of faults. You're always bringing it up. It could be truthful faults. It could be outright slander, just outright saying something. Again, the point James is making, James is forbidding believers from saying anything critical that is intended to influence the way that someone else thinks about the person you're speaking against. And if we're honest, that's why we do it, because I want you to have a better opinion of me and a lesser opinion of him. It's pride, it's arrogance. Versus the humility before God that says, I had a humongous sin debt that was forgiven of me, and everything about me is the grace of God. I'm just going to live out of grace. It's interesting, in, in, Proverb, in Proverbs 6, there's a few things that are listed as the, the, the Lord hates. Listen, it's Proverbs 6.16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are abomination to Him. Listen to this. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's gossip. Four out of the seven things that the Lord hates. You know what they're tied to? Your speech. To our tongues. To our tongues. And you take that to Matthew 15, where it says, out of, the, out of the heart the mouth speaks, the problem is our hearts. We're not quite as good as we think we are. And, and what James is saying is, rather than serving one another, rather than all of us coming, coming humbly to the cross, this type of speech was, was standing in judgment over one another. Rather than submitting to one another, that the Bible clearly says, you can go to Romans 12, Romans 13, one another, one another, one another, one. Rather than, than being for one another, we're standing in judgment over one another. And, and it gets worse than that. Not only are we judging one another, he says, look, when you do this, ultimately, guess who you're speaking against? You're speaking against God himself. When, when you come up with your own standards, when you make up your own rule, when you now begin to be the judge of your brother or your sister in Christ, you have begun to judge God himself. You can, look at, you can look at Leviticus 19, 18. You can look at Matthew 22. You can look at Romans 13. You can Galatians 5. The theme of the Bible is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The overflow of a believer, the overflow of someone who has been forgiven a humongous sin debt that you could have never repaid. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved and, and not by works, lest anyone would boast. We did none of us in here... If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, it wasn't because you did it yourself. It was all grace. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses. Dead people, dead people don't do anything for themselves. 
Dead, dead people need somebody outside of them to act on their behalf to bring them back to life. Humility. But he says, love one another. The, the theme of the Bible, it's interesting. In, in Leviticus 19.18, he says, love, love your neighbor as yourself. It's very interesting. Just before Leviticus 19.18, in verse 16, listen to this. The command to love one another is preceded by this. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. One of the simplest, surefire ways to know that, there, that love is lacking is through our speech. It's through slander. And yet how quick is it? How easy is it? We saw this a few weeks ago. Sinning through the tongue is one of the easiest things in the world because at every moment of every one of our lives, everything I need to sin with my tongue is always present. The circumstances that I need to be present for me to sin with my tongue are always there. All I need is breath. Other sins, I may have to orchestrate some things for it to happen. Tongue? I could say something right now. I could say something right now. I could say something right now. See how easy it is? Some of you are probably thinking, I wish he would say something right now. Just get on with it. But the, the heart of God, the heart of God is for us to love one another, not slander one another. James has already said this in 2.8. He says, the roy, if you are fulfilling the royal law of Scripture, the highest of heights, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what we're doing. When we judge one another, you're, we're putting ourselves above the law. What we're saying to God is that the law does not apply to us. That I, that I know better. And in doing so, James says, you offend the giver of the law. You're, 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 you're in essence saying that God, your law is not perfect, it's not sufficient. I'm going to need to add to it. I'm going to need to make up some other things. And ultimately, what you're doing is, is judging God. It's interesting. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. Every, everything that they convicted others or, or convicted Jesus of, you know what it is? They took the law, and then they added their own set. They took The law took them to here, and they said, hey, we're going to take it here. And, and inside of all of us, inside of all of us is a fight to be like the Pharisees, to come up with our own set of rules, to take the law and add to it. And that's, that's one of the most subtle forms that I believe that this passage takes on and, and in our lives. And, and, it's, and it's coming up with our own set of rules. Taking God's word and going a little bit further. Or taking God's word that it may, lead, may require us to live in an area by faith and for us thinking that the way we live that in, out in faith needs to be that, the way everybody else needs to live that out in faith. Like, I don't watch, I don't, you, you may say, well, I don't watch PG-13 movies, therefore everyone else should not watch PG-13 movies. And if you watch PG-13 movies, you're sinning. Well, where does it say that? I wear this certain type of clothes, there, and, and this length of short, and this length, and this. So if you, and if you don't, and you become the standard. And if you don't do it, you're sinning. Why? Because you don't measure up to my standard, when your standard may not be the standard. That's your standard. And that may be your expression of faith, and that may be how you interpret that. And I'm not saying the Bible is open to everybody's own interpretation, but there are parts of our lives that are not explicitly detailed. The Bible doesn't say shorts have to be... Now, there is certainly a modesty and there's a sense of that. But again, if we're going to be a church that's measuring 
clothes or music or, or where we eat or what we drink and all that, that's Phariseeism. That, that's, where the, that's where Israel had gotten. They were taking the law and instead of loving one another, they were being critical of one another. They had added their own set of rules, personal rule. And here's the complication with that. Think about that. If Christian Hockley has his own set of rules and Glenda has her own set of rules and, and Ed Poole has his own set of rules, you see the conflict? Because hers isn't the same of his and his aren't the same of his. You see the conflict? Versus all of us just simply submitting to the one lawgiver and judge who is pure and the one lawgiver and judge who is sovereign and the one lawgiver and judge who has the right and the authority to make the rules. And, and that's exactly what Paul is dealing with in, in Romans chapter 14. In that day, it was, it was the struggle over eating meat. And he, he says, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all meat. That, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Do you see the point? We're going to be different. The beauty of the Bible is that there's unity. The beauty of the body of Christ is there's unity amongst diversity. It's even though we're different, guess what we do? We love each other. And, and I'm not talking about clearly delineated sins, but... but there's wisdom to discern what movies we should and shouldn't watch. There's wisdom to discern about clothes, but at the end of the day, or music. But guess what? At the end of the day, we're going to be different. And sometimes it's a conviction issue. Sometimes it's a maturity issue. He says, who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls. And will he stand? And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You see, the, you see the faith? He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does it for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who, he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. It, basically, he's going to sum that all up with Romans 14, 23. Whether you eat, you know, do whatever you do. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, sorry. He said, whatever you don't do of, sin, of faith is sin. I messed that up real good. Romans 14, 23, whatever is not done of faith is sin. Okay, too many verses bouncing around in my head and they're all blending together. The point Paul will later make in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. It's about faith. On these issues that are not clearly delineated, we'll be different. He says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. For because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. You see the point? Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is a good thing for you be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. These things, when we're pursuing our own rules, when we're pursuing our own agendas, when we're all pursuing our own set of standards, guess what? That doesn't produce peace. It doesn't produce joy. It doesn't bring about love. 
But if we're all focused on this book and the truths here and we're all in agreement here and, and we, we love each other in spite of our differences, that's a powerful community. Do not tear down the work of God, verse 20, for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. James is saying, Stop, don't judge one another on your own standards. We have a standard and it's right here. And stick to this standard. And the challenge is for all of us to come up with our own standards. And then we expect others to live according to our personal convictions, things that aren't expressly laid out in scriptures, and in doing so, we're placing ourselves above the law. And we're, we're creating an environment for conflict and for quarrels. And, and again, the Bible certainly gives principles to govern our choices, but we won't always agree. And not only this, we won't always understand someone's heart behind the actions. Sometimes it's a maturity thing. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding. Sometimes, sometimes the person who we think needs to grow up, actually we're the ones that need to grow up. And in maturity things, all throughout the scripture, you see weak and strong. Weak were the ones that knew they could knew, knew the freedoms they had in Christ. The weak were the ones that struggled, that didn't understand the freedoms they had in Christ. And, and, in, and in the Bible, the weak were always told to give up their freedoms to go, to go to, the, to, to the weak. You know what we do in our culture? We tell the weak to grow up. We expect the weak to come up here. When the Bible says, no, you who are strong, you go down here. Why? Because of love. And you see, love, I'm telling you, love is the issue. We do, you do this with your kids. You don't want, I hope anyway, you, at least we do in our home. There are things that we don't watch, not that they're bad, it's just that our little kids aren't ready for their minds to grasp what they're talking about. And you know why we don't, you know why we don't do that to our kids? Because we love them. We don't want to wound them. We don't want to harm them. There may be some things in that, there may be some things in that, that movie, and, and again, that creates the whole battle. Then we, you know, we're not watching bad things. But, a, but an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, well, our daughter's seven, they don't need, they're not ready for that. They're not ready for that stuff. You know what? But again, it's an issue of love. If we loved each other, if we loved each other the way the Word of God calls us to love each other, and when a fellowship does love each other the way God calls, you know what? These things go by the wayside. I automatically, Karen automatically lays rights down for our kids. Why? Because we, we love them, and we love them passionately, and we're for them, and we don't want them to stumble. And that same kind of love it's what James is getting in, getting at, because it drives humility, not pride. And the essence of this slanderous speech is a lack of humility. It's a lack of... He, we, he just spoke about the verse 10, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. And he immediately says, Don't judge one another. Don't speak against one another slanderous words. 
And the humility not only comes between one another, it comes the humility between me and God, acknowledging that God is the source of all law and all authority. God alone is the source. God alone is the source. Not you and not me. God is the source. And, and what the, and, and, and you know, when, when we come to these passages, you know, he says, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. God is the source. He who is able to save and destroy. Je- Jesus said in Matthew 10 too, God alone is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When we judge and when we speak slanderous speech, you've got to understand in the Greek what they would have understood is you're condemning that person to hell. You're wishing they would go to hell. You're saying they're worthy of hell. Here's the humility. So are you and I. Except by the grace of God, we've had our sins cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But for the grace of God, I was on a beeline to hell. Whether I was good or not, it didn't matter. I was a sinner. Sinners go to hell. God intervened. As we sang this morning, there is one fountain that washed me white as snow and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. I was unworthy. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And yet by God's grace, he opened up my eyes to the truths and reality of Jesus Christ, the truth of this Bible. And I say, who am I to judge? Outside of what God has judged. And that's the key thing. When we, when we read this, what, what this passage doesn't mean, and you see it on your handout, what it doesn't mean is that we can never confront someone over their sin. Where this Bible says sin is sin, it would actually be arrogant and boastful, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, not to confront them about their sin. In, in 1 Corinthians 5, you have a man who is having a relationship with his dad's wife, not his mom, I guess his stepmom. Listen to this. Look at what James, what Paul says, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 5. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed were removed from your midst. You see how arrogant and humility can creep in in all different ways? I know you told us not to do this, but you, you, you were wrong. In both of those cases, we're standing over the word. There, there are times when we must confront a brother or sister in sin. There are times where we must it would be a violation of love not to. I mean, if you saw your child about to do something that was going to destroy them, and you just sat back and said, mm, that'll learn them, that'll teach them. There are some things, maybe, but not if it's completely devastating. If they're about to grab a pot of boiling water off the stove, you don't say, let's see how this goes. Let's see what they do. I'll teach them for the rest. No, you yell and you scream and you go after them. That's not unloving. But even when we confront in sin, the Bible is very clear. We do that with humility and not selfishly. We do that with a broken spirit. We do that with a humble spirit. We do that with a spirit that says, you know, I want you to come back. I'm for you, not against you. And I want to challenge us. In view of the Lord's Supper, in view of taking these elements, in view of all that we've been forgiven of, in view of the mercy and the grace and and the humility of of Jesus Christ. Those those of us, as we saw last week, who who have had Jesus Christ step off His throne and pick up our face as we humbly laid our faces in the dirt before Him, begging for forgiveness, and He humbly picked up our face and look, looked at us in the face. It's like that, that same picture is in John 8 with the adulterous woman. 
where he picks up her face and he looks and he holds and he says, you've been forgiven, go and sin no more. When, when, for those of us who have experienced that grace, what, what if we committed with our mouths to only build up and to never tear down? What if we tried to take an accounting of every single word that we spoke or every single word that we didn't speak? Sometimes, sometimes it can be sin to not speak. If you hear somebody spoken against to sit there and be quiet, you've just sinned by not doing what you ought to do. You ought to come to the defense of your brother or your sister in Christ. What, can you imagine what would happen if, if, if we were a community of believers of faith where what we talked about more than anything was what God was doing in our lives rather than what was not happening in our lives. That, that we talked more about our successes rather than each other's failures. That our speech revolved around that. That our, that our Facebook posts revolved around that. That our tweets revolved around that. That, that, that just was about the great things that God was doing and, and how He was moving us and, and, and working out our faults and growing us into His likeness and how He was doing that together rather than pointing out everyone's faults. Imagine, imagine that community. I mean, I, I would challenge any of us to see the prevalence of this. Try to keep up on a daily basis how many times you sin with your tongue. How many times I sin with my tongue or could or even wanted to. I mean, what about on, what about on our Facebook? I don't, I don't know this lingo. I guess there's a wall. or I'm not on Facebook and Twitter. And, I, and even sometimes I can say that pridefully. I'm not there, quite honestly, because of the, all the, the, the junk that I can be exposed to, but also the junk I'm exposed to that my friends and people put on there that just offend me. And then I end up, it just, it's bothersome to see what's on there. That, that's why I'm not on there. It's not out of pride. I don't, you can be on there. But, but what if, what if I, I'll scroll sometimes through Karen's Facebook and look at it. What if, what if on your wall, on my wall, I don't have a wall, but what if on your wall you, you, things were like this? I just noticed God's been doing something in your life, and I wanted to encourage you. When's the last time you posted that? Hey, I just noticed what God's doing in your life. You know, hey, I want to encourage you. If we're honest, most of the stuff that we post on Facebook is sourced in pride and arrogance. And when I look at that stuff, I love my life, and then I look at other people's lives, and I start to hate my life. I just went to Hawaii for the 15th time. Well, shut up. Seriously. I've never been to Hawaii, and I want to go there every day of my life, so shut up. I was content until I saw your life. Now I'm trying to post something nice. Yeah, I'm so happy for you going to Hawaii for your 15th time, LOL. You know, the LOL is because but what you're not seeing is me yelling and screaming at you and hating your guts. But I want you to think more of me than you really should. Think about this. As, as we take these elements, that's a sidebar. That's not in the notes, and that's usually where I have to send apology emails, so forgive me. Again, <laughs> sins of the tongue. When, when, when we come up here and take these elements today, what do you need to confess? Any relationships with other people that you need to confess? Any sins that you need to deal with? Any wounds 
that you've caused somebody else or any wounds that you have because of someone else that you've not dealt with, that you've harbored ill will, that you've, anybody that instead of rubbing out their sin, you've rubbed in their sin. Any sins of another person that you know about that you've told other people about and, and spread and made more people know about it than simply going to that person and dealing with it. See, that's the danger. Gossip and these things are like cancer. Because what happens is if John and I have something between us that we need to deal with and, and I go tell other people and I gossip about John, you know what? That gossip, instead of just me and John dealing with it, now there's hundreds of people that got to deal with it. And that gossip is spread all throughout the body. Where, where have you not spoken life into individuals, but actively torn individuals down? Where have maybe we refused to not celebrate others' victories because of jealousy and pride and a lack of humility? Where have we not mourned with those who mourn? Where have we not wept with those who wept because of arrogance and lack of humility? Where, where have we not rejoiced where others rejoice? See, because all of that that we've talked about today is pictured in what we're doing here. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. You know what he did in, in humility? He stepped out of the portals of heaven and took on flesh. Why? So he could die for our sins. In humility, when he was spoken against, you know what it says in 1 Peter 2? That he did not return the same kind of language that he was spoken against. Instead, you know what he did? He trusted himself to the Father. In humility, he was, willing to being, he was willing to die under false accusations. Why? Because he knew that without the, forgiveness of, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he was willing to, with his blood, offer forgiveness to an adulterous, sinful people. His enemies, Romans 5.8 says. He did exactly what we're called to do. He loved his enemies. He's willing to die for him. And then you know what he does? He sits in heaven right now, and instead of pointing out our flaws, you know what he does? He defends us day after day after day against the accusations of the evil one, true accusations. First John says that he's our advocate, that he's literally our defense attorney. And he speaks truth over us instead of condemnation. Listen to me. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus says in, in John 12, he says in John 3, he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. For a time being, he has offered salvation and forgiveness from your sins. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, his death, burial, and resurrection, you can be forgiven of your sins. But listen to me, there's a day coming where he's coming back, and he is coming back to judge. And if you've not repented of your sins, it will be too late when he comes back. There will be no forgiveness offered at that point. There will be judgment. If you're here today and you're not sure you're a believer, if you're, if, do not take these elements. 1 Corinthians talks about in doing so you drink judgment on yourself. This is for believers only. You don't have to be a member of this body, but you've got to be a believer. This right here is a picture of the unity. Every single one of us are a family through the blood of Jesus that we had nothing to do with. And I pray that because of that, we'd be a people that speaks love and life over one another and not just lies and tearing people down.